Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. It's a post-draft Tuesday get together here on Birds 365 with the Mac and Mac guys, McMullen, McDonald. Got a couple of good guests coming your way. We'll give you the details on that in just a second. Uh, Johnny Mac thought yesterday would be all analysis, and uh, I thought getting a chance to hear from A.J. Brown was a little insightful. You learned a couple of things. But the Eagles had to make a move yesterday after we got off the air. Nate Herbig, who they offered a contract tendered to, and he accepted it this week, then gets turned around and released uh, after the Eagles had made a, at least seemed like a quasi-commitment to him. Was this all just for the purpose of a trade? I, I got to admit, I'm not 100% understanding what the hell came down between the Eagles and Nate Herbig. Yeah, I it, it is mainly for the trade. I mean, the Eagles were trying to trade him and for whatever reason weren't able to uh, get anything. You know, it's a more difficult time of year. I thought they'd be able to get something for Nate. Um, if you go back to last year in the summer with Matt Pryor, they were able to get a six-round pick, I think it was. Uh, but that's a different time of year when teams have already, you know, this time of year, I always joke, Jody, everybody's great. Everybody's great. You know, your fourth round offensive guard, we think he's going to be a real, real player for us. And, you know, you haven't gotten him on the field yet. And once you get him on the field and you start to say to yourself, well, oh, uh, you know, this kid's probably not ready. Um, then you start looking at the Matt Priors of the world and they probably would have been able to, uh, deal Nate Herbig maybe at that point. Um, I know his agent as for a trade. He saw the writing on the wall, um, and just from a numbers perspective, um, and and you know the Eagles saw it too. Um, but I, I I will say something about Nate. We talk about pedigree all the time. <laughs> for whatever reason, and maybe it was his body, uh, you know. I, I, you know, what you kind of remade uh, with the help of, of Lane Johnson and, 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 and those guys <clears throat> at the Bro Barn in South Jersey, but they never expected him to play well. And man, I mean, he was always forced in the lineup due to injuries over the past two seasons. He was always the last resort. And he always played well. He always played well. And they always say the NFL, and you've heard this term, Jody, is a meritocracy. Mainly it is. Mainly it is. But sometimes it isn't. And I would I would use Nate Herbig as an example of that because no matter how well he played, it was like, let's get Jack Riskell. 
Jack Driscoll ready. No matter how, even Sue Opetta, he's a Tesla stock. Uh, we got to get Sue. It was always, you know, they were waiting for the other foot with Nate Herbig. Um, and I never saw it come. I'm not going to overstate it and say he's great, but I will say he's better than those guys. You know, <laughs> it was, and, it was. And, and by the way, those guys aren't bad. That's not an insult. Um, but he was better than them. And they didn't expect it. They didn't think it would continue. It's a little strange to me uh, the way Nate Herbig was treated. But he'll get another job, even at this stage. And he'll get an opportunity to to play more somewhere else, or at least be higher on the depth chart. He actually played quite a bit here because yeah. of all all the injuries um but it was injury related um and you hope you know you hope some good luck returns and you stay healthy and uh you won't need any of your backups it's probably not realistic but yeah i mean i i'm i you know not that pro football focus is the be all end all but you know 2020, they ranked him the 13th best guard out of 80 in the league. 13. And last year wasn't quite as good, but it was 31 of 82. Still pretty good. Right. If he's in the top half, that's not bad at all. Um, Especially for an undrafted free agent. Agreed. And you and I talked about this yesterday, that you always like to have one of those guys. The general manager likes to have one of those guys on the roster for bragging purposes. You know, we found this guy. No one else in the league. We bought him in as an undrafted free agent. And look at the productor we've gotten out of him. Uh, so that's why it's at least in part a little surprising that the Eagles uh, severed ties and parted ways yesterday. I'm going to be the uh, glass half empty guy here, I guess. If they did give him the tender... And they did so, remember, ahead of time before they drafted Cam Jurgens. They didn't know they were going to be able to get a guy like Jurgens in the second round. So there was a dynamic that changed in the middle of it. But you know they had to at least be thinking, hey, if we give him the tender, then we can at least try and trade him on draft day, blah, blah, blah. Well, I'm sure that after they traded Cam Jurgens, they reached out to a bunch of teams and said, uh, because we've got this uh, new uh, guy who's going to fill in and be our center for the next decade, we'd be willing to part with uh, Nate Herbig. Uh, what kind of draft pick would you give us? And apparently the answer came back zero. No teams yeah. were interested in paying for him at this time. And you're right. Somebody will sign him. He'll be on somebody else's at least roster and get a chance to compete in camp. Uh, but that's because they won't have to do anything. They won't have to pay him. They won't have to pay him the tender offer that the Eagles gave him. It'll be closer to the NFL veteran minimum. They overestimated. You have your own opinion of the player. And you're right. We have a different look at the kid because he's playing for us. He has to fill in for us because the Eagles have had injuries on their offensive line. So you might rate him a little bit higher than any other team or pro football focus might. The rest of the NFL spoke, John. They won a team. If there was one team that was ready to give him a seventh rounder, they would have taken the seventh rounder. Because less no, than no, you're right. Forty-eight not, hours after the draft is over, they give the guy his release. Yeah, I'm not trying to say they could have gotten anything. They obviously couldn't have gotten anything, and that's why I bring up the time of year. Um, 
And as I said, I mean, I see it every year. Everybody's like, oh, we're good. We're good. We got this fourth round and long cornerback, and he's going to step in. And and then you get him in minicamp, and you go, oh, there's some work to do here. And then there's no, you know, mini, mandatory minicamp here in Philadelphia, at least, obviously. But even that, that's not a lot of work. And you get to training camp, and all of a sudden, you start to look at your young players and say, all you got to do is look every year. The vast majority are not ready to play. I mean, it's no secret around the NFL, but it's it's a it's a something that recycles every year. Every team does it. They're like, well, we're really excited about this guy. We're really excited about this kid. And they get to training camp and they realize, oh, he's not ready. And then they go out and they got to get a veteran player through whether they're released or traded. And the Eagles could have played hardball. They did Nate Herbig a favor. They could have played hardball, hardball and waited till the summer and probably gotten a, a Matt Pryor type deal uh, late in, in the process. Um, you know, and they, yeah, probably you should argue, you know, you should play hardball. Why give up players? Why just, why just release them? Remember the top 51 rule is in effect. It's not affecting your salary right, cap. But, but he's a top 51 No, guy. yeah, but it's not. In other words, it's not affecting your salary cap. It's not hamstringing you in any way. Um, you, well, yeah, you, it is, John, because he's one of their top 51 guys. So as of today, they released him. Someone moved up from the bottom of the 51 to replace Nate Herbig. So they added. No, I get it, Jody, so. but it's a small it's a small amount. In other words, we're not talking about a 15 million dollar player. It's not having a, a massive effect on your salary cap is what I'm trying to say. So you can carry him, carry him, carry him as long as you want to carry him and cut him. And, you know, you get the same thing if you can't get anything. But if somebody has injuries, if somebody says, we stink on the offensive line, and believe me, there are at least 10 teams in this league, and I'm probably being kind, that are going to be sitting there in the last week of August and saying, wow, we really stink on the offensive line. Uh, that's just – it's just an offensive line deficient league. They could have played hardball. They could have kept him around. They could have tried for the match prior deal um but yeah he wasn't going to play here so they they released him um and it 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 speaks to the depth of this organization because you can argue there are a few teams that can credibly claim that they might have the best offensive line in football along with the eagles but not with the depth not when you add in the depth the eagles depth is absurd on the offensive line. And the fact that the 13th ranked guard two years ago is third string. All right, then I, I, that, it, that says it all. Here I go playing devil's advocate again. If the offensive line depth is as great as you're describing it, that they're arguably just for the starters in the conversation for the best offensive line. And then when you add in the depth, you might have to call them the best offensive line in football. Why the hell do they use a second round pick on an offensive lineman? Well, because they know Jason Kelsey's going to retire. I mean, well, how know. about the great depth that you're describing? That the Eagles have this unbelievable amount of depth. How many guys do they have on their roster right now who played center? Dickerson. Well, there's a big difference between there's a big difference between I'm not going to like I said I'm not gonna, at the beginning of this I said I don't want to overstate it. There's a big difference between the talent level 
of a Nate Herbig or a Sua Opeta or a Coyote Awasika, these guys that they've developed and Jeff Stoutland's been able to develop in a high-level draft pick like Cam Jurgens or last year with Landon Dickerson. Now, yeah, they have a bunch of guys who can play center. You know, Stoutland's home with for years. That's probably Isaac's best position, Isaac Samalo, which is interesting. By the way, before the Nate move, I started thinking, you know, they might cut Isaac Samalo because he makes so much money and they have so much depth on the offensive line. They went in a different direction, went with Nate Herbig. On the very day I was writing about it, typical bad luck. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, there's a big difference between the Landon Dickersons of the world and the Cam Jurgens of the world and guys who are up at that level of the draft. Now, how we said, look, they saw Jordan Mailata, and I've been saying this for months on this show. They saw Jordan Mailata and Landon Dickerson together. They're not moving that. They aren't moving that. So everybody was talking about it. I've said it a bunch of times. It ain't happening. Um, and obviously, Kelsey's going to be there, you know, probably just for this year. And who knows if it's successful, maybe runs it back. But I think he's – it's pretty clear indication by the way they're acting. He's probably giving them, you know, this is probably it talk uh, uh, as far as being his potential final season. And then you have right guard. Obviously, you have Lane Johnson. Um, so right guard is the one uncertainty. And I know when he talked about it, Nick Sirianni during the draft said, Isaac played, has played a lot of football. And this is the reason I started the story, Jody. But he also brought up everybody else. Nick Sirianni loves Jack Driscoll. Loves him. He loves Jack Driscoll like Jeff Stoutland loves Isaac Samalo. So... You know, does he love Jack Driscoll like he loves Zach Pascal? Yes, <laughs> yes. He's a bus guy. Jack Driscoll's a bus guy. Zach Pascal's a bus a, a bus guy. Um, you want to be on the bus with him? Blah blah blah. Uh, by the way, Zach blocked me on Twitter. I'm hurt by that, Zach Pascal. Um, really? I, yeah, I think he should have blocked you, not me. I think no, I'm incredibly no fair. I, I'm much more. Yeah, I think I'm, about, I'm incredibly fair, well, Zach Pascal. I, so, I guess I guess I'd have to follow Zach Pascal to be blocked. So yeah. I, if he's attempted to block me, I, I didn't, didn't know even about think it. I was following him. He went out of his way to block me, so I'm a little hurt by that. This well, morning. no so way. You had to be following him to know that he blocked you, right? How would you know that? No, he I you? couldn't read his tweet. I saw everybody retweeting something he tweeted, and I couldn't read it. And I'm like, why can't I read this oh, tweet? Oh, you want you somebody? Else? He was just talking about changing his uniform number because AJ's taking eleven. I did make a quip about that. I said, "What's your favorite moment of the of the Zach Pascal number eleven era?" But I mean, come on, that's a joke. There's a you know, I mean, because he had it for a couple of weeks, and I had to give it to AJ. But anyway, I digress. I'm a little hurt by that Zach Pascal close circuit. Um. Uh, where was I on? Oh, uh, right guard. So, you know, he, he specifically brought up how well Jack Driscoll played and he did Jack played well, but he got hurt again. So he's been hurt uh, for his first two professional seasons um, has had injuries. He brought up Nate. Uh, he brought up Sua. Um, and he said, you know, Howie was a little bit different, and he said, Camp Jurgens is a center. He's not going to play guard unless they need him. Unless, you know, three guys get injured. 
then yeah, you know, you, you, you got to force a guy into the lineup. Um, but you know, it, it was interesting that he wouldn't say it was Isaac's job. And that's where I said to myself, well, he is really expensive. He's coming off a Liz Frank injury. I think the number is 12 games. He's played 12 games over the last two years because of injuries. Um, and and they do like Jack Driscoll. I thought it was more about Jack than anything else. But And they felt, hey, if we can get the same level of play from Jack Driscoll as Isaac for a whole lot less money, maybe that opens the door. I never gave credence to Nate. It was correct. One, because they think his most natural position is left guard. But um, they just never, you know, it's weird to me uh, how well he's performed. And they just always kept him in that box off to the side saying, well, we got to get better than that. We got to get better than that. We got to get better than that. You're saying how well he performed. He played this well, that no team would give a seventh rounder for him. We can have our opinion of him. We can look at him in the Eagle context and what he gave them and where he fit and everything. But the entire National Football League had a chance to chime in and go, we'll take this guy for a seventh rounder, a seventh rounder. And 31 of 31 said, no, thank you. They all passed on him. And I get your point about it this time of year. Everybody believes that the guys they have are good enough. And then they actually get a closer look and yeah, go, well, oh, shoot, we're not good enough. But still, if he's as good as you're making him sound, somebody should have given up a seventh rounder for him. Well, it's a fair point. I'm not, I'm not disputing the point. But what I'm saying is you should know better. You should know better. You're the team that watched it. These other teams are the ones with the crappy offensive line that think they've had crappy offensive line. Let's look at I always bring up Seattle and Minnesota. Because they've literally had crappy offensive lines for a decade. Now they're they're always taking on. We're, we're going to take this kid in the fourth round. We're going to and we're going to we're going to develop this. They don't know how to develop offensive linemen, so it doesn't surprise me that they want the, the newly minted kid from wherever LSU or Alabama or wherever, and say, "Well, he's going to step in and he's going to be a star." They don't know how to develop offensive lines. They've had bad offensive lines for a decade. Uh, and there's 10 more teams you could say the same thing about. Let them make it the bad decisions. You guys are supposed to know. And that's the confusing part to me, Jody. You're focused on the other teams. I'm focused on this team and saying, I mean, what more do you want the kid to do? I, I I don't and they didn't believe on me. That's this they didn't believe in him. That's the strange part to me. Here's where your point is is accurate, but also an issue for other teams. Nate Herbig is that good, whatever, however you're gonna come about rating Nate Herbig, use pro football focus, use what uh, you can pick up off tape, and you look and go, Yeah, but that's what Stoutland coaching him. We don't have Stoutland here. Yeah, well, so if we pick him it. up, is he going to be able to play as and well as probably, he did for Philadelphia? Here for us, the answer is no. So, yeah, we'll keep our seventh-round draft pick. Sorry, and, Howie Roseman, we're not making a trade for the kid. And that's probably your best argument. You you, you probably sold me he's not going to be as good, and he'll probably look like an undrafted free agent. That, um, is, that is part of what the Eagles had to deal with. It was just weird that they gave him the tender. You and I kind of batted it back and forth on who you want to use that tender on. I was more of a Boston Scott guy to Howie's credit. He got Boston back and didn't have to go to the tender number to do so. So he played his cards exactly right there. I was surprised they did it with Herbeck. We now can see why they did it. 
They thought they were going to end up trading him. And as soon as they got Jurgens, I'm sure they tried. And within 48 hours, he's no longer an Eagle because they chose to release him. If they did a favor by him and uh, that makes Howie Roseman look good, I'm sure he's going to try and bank that at some point. But um, you give a guy a tender and uh, it can play both ways. If you're a guy who gets a tender in the future and you're a Philadelphia Eagle, you can go, yeah, but that don't mean diddly because they turn around and release Nate. I was here when they released Nate. So it's the roster games that all teams have to play. Uh, part of it is the NFL draft. And we just got finished with the three days and the rounds that the Eagles look great in and the round that I don't think they quite handled as well as they possibly could have. Coming up next, our buddy Rick Saratella from NFL Draft Bible is going to jump aboard. He came on with his umpteen times leading up to the draft. We're going to get Rick up here and get his thoughts on the Eagles draft. We'll talk about the whole draft as well but Eagle-centric with Rick Saratella from NFL Draft Bible next here on Birds 365. Stream on a Roku, Fire Stick, Android TV, or Apple TV. Now you can watch 6ABC 24-7 with the 6ABC Philadelphia streaming app. The big story on action. Search 6ABC Philadelphia and start streaming today. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. Lincoln Financial Field is home to more than just our hometown team. It's a landing place for dreams. Invest in the future of our students from all over Philadelphia and get an exclusive tour of the stadium at the Blocks Aspire to Dreams Gala hosted by Brian Taff of 6ABC. While we aspire to build, our students aspire to dream. Join us for the Blocks Gala on Thursday, May 5th at Lincoln Financial Field. Seats are limited, so reserve yours today at blocks.org slash gala. In Philadelphia, we celebrated the miracle with pride only five years ago. And then the following morning, IBEW Local 98 members went back to work, building this city, rescuing our communities from decay, and inspiring the young men and women of the region to take pride in who we are. Like the cats, Local 98 members believe in hope. To learn more about who we are, what we do, and career opportunities with Local 98, visit us, ibew98.org. At Stateside Vodka, every new customer gets the world's best rocks glass, free. You're telling me that bottle is cut in half? You could say that. Go for the midnight tears. Go for the game. Go for the hits. Go for the fans. Go for the win. Go to Ocean Casino Resorts. Book your trip at theoceanac.com.
John McMullen, Jody McDonald, here with John 365. And we got our bud, Rick Zaratella, who's always gracious enough to come out with us before the draft and after the draft to try and analyze what got done around the league, but most specifically with the Philadelphia Eagles. All right, since we bother you as much as we do and get you on the show as often as you do, do you like have to take a deep breath every time the Eagles pick? Because you know that, all right, McMullen and McDonald be asking me about this. <laughs> <laughs> what that little Eagles doing? And I'm going on Birds 365. Can we make the drift even harder? Now, as long as I got a cup of Joe, top of the morning, fellas. I loved what the Eagles did. I, I feel like I've been singing their praise so much. I was like, man, this will be an easy spot to do. I've been talking birds all week long. Yeah, they did uh, make a, a splash, obviously, on day one Thursday, moving up the targeted move up to Jordan Davis. I think a lot of people expected that. That was my prediction before the draft. And then, but then the AJ Brown uh, move. I mean, that is, that is, and Nick Sirianni talked about this, Rick, and that's, that's not projection, man. That's a, that's a proven guy. So as much as you talk about talent with some of these young receivers we saw, going in this draft and there were a ton of them and they have a, a you know that's what college football is making these days is wide receivers but it's all projection aj brown he's already he's already proven it yeah and kudos you you nailed the jordan davis uh but aj brown not only is he proven he's tough he fits the mantra he's gonna appeal himself to the fan base he's gonna pick up yards after the catch this is an explosive guy who makes plays he's hard to bring down and you line him up opposite of a Devonta Smith, well, suddenly this is a, a really locked and loaded offense for Jalen Hurts to operate. And I love what they did in terms of adding blue two blue-chip guys. One's a proven commodity. Jordan Davis, who we've spoken about at length here on the defensive side of the ball. If you remember back when Fletcher Cox was a rookie, he only played, I believe, 49% of the snaps. 49, yeah. Yeah, so – I, I see that kind of mentorship and that protege relationship. And I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but then the Cam Jurgens pick is just a natural progression from, from Kelsey to Jurgens. And Jurgens has that inside versatility, could play all three interior positions. I mean, they really set themselves up for a team that was coming off a playoff run under a first year head coach to add those chips. I think they position themselves to be the front runners in the NFC East, and they add building blocks for the future. Very nice. Um, let me go back to the uh, defensive edition with Davis. I took a call last night on WIP from an Eagle fan who was a little worried. Jody, this guy uh, only played X amount of snaps this year. He's as big as a house. Are we going to have to worry about this guy? And I told him, you can't worry about the snaps because Georgia was just that good along the defensive line. They needed to play all those other guys. Shoot, uh, Jermaine Johnson up and left them because he couldn't get enough snaps. So it's a dicey thing that the, the, the Georgia coaching staff had to do. He proved to me when he dropped 20 pounds before the combine, if he wants to get in better shape because of it, any concern? Did you ever get a feel or through your sources or your coaches that you know, whatever, that this uh, young man might enjoy the fact that he was the 13th pick in the draft a little too much and not worry about his conditioning? Well, I think anytime you balloon to the size of a refrigerator, you got to be concerned, right? I mean, to me, I mean, I personally was concerned when I was assessing him last spring and I said, well, hey, here's a guy who was, you know, around 380. 
I mean, teams are going to invest a first round pick, but I would assume there's going to be some language in that contract to meet some, uh, you know, tip the scales when he reports in August, he's going to have to weigh a certain weight. And I, you know, I, we, we talked about it. When I spoke to Jordan Davis, I, I spoke to him at length and I asked him a lot of questions. I probably hung around 35, 40 minutes listening to him respond. So I, I feel like I got somewhat to know the personality. He came across as a very mature young man. He owned every criticism, never made an excuse that I'm trying to work better. I'm committed to the process. And he's, you know, he did tend to enjoy Atlantic City, which is not too far from Philadelphia. But I mean, listen, are you concerned? It's always in the back of your head. But I feel good about the player, the person. And listen, guys, we're asking this guy to take up space. He's he's a hell of an athlete, even if he packs on some pounds, the way he moves to me. It's incredible. Yeah, Rick, I mean, going through this process when it comes to Jordan and some of the things, and I I think the one, you know, the biggest concern is is what Jody brought up, and that's conditioning. But I I do think too many people didn't see that Georgia defense and what they asked those players to do. And not just Jordan, it was Trayvon Walker as well who went number one. Um, They weren't asked to rush the passer pin their ears back um you know Trayvon Walker was setting the edge it was very disciplined defense Jordan Davis was uh tying up two blockers at times um I always joke you watch N'Kobe Dean highlights and your eye goes right in front of him well who's there who's there making it easy for the missile to go through the hole um and that's N'Kobe Dean how many people you think just didn't understand what Georgia was trying to do and that affected their thought process of, of, of the particular players. Cause I know Alan Wolking, who's the Eagles director of college scouting used to be their Southeast area scout, you know, constantly brought that up and said, these guys weren't asked to do this. And the transfer portals part of that as well. Cause Georgia has so many talented people. They wanted to get them playing time. So they didn't transfer. Right. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack there. So, I mean, first off, people don't realize you you think Trayvon Walker and Jordan Davis are good. Wait until you get a load of Jalen Carter next yeah. year because he's yeah. better than the both of them. And so that's the kind of talent that was on the defensive line. So I think it goes back to figuring out for a scout, like, can he not do it or was he just not asked to do it? And, and for Jordan Davis, I think he fits that category like – I forget what percentage of third down snaps he played, but it was slim to none. And can he do it? Well, I see a skill set that could translate eventually to third down. Uh, Was he asked to do it? Not so much. And so that's, you know, that's a tricky situation. But I'll tell you what, guys, you know, sometimes the NFL is about mismatches and the game of football starts in the trenches. And even if this guy is a two down player, What's what's the difference as a, a slot receiver, a slot cornerback? I mean, the NFL is such a niche specialty kind of game on Sundays. To me, this guy's giving you a mismatch two out of three plays. I'll take it. Ricky, uh, when the Eagles had the three first-round picks, before they made the trade with the Saints, when they had 15, 16, and 19, I said right here on Birds 365, John, I think they could actually take a linebacker in the first round. I know it's been 40-plus years, but at number 19, if the Kobe Dean is still sitting there and they don't take him, you're going to be looking at one angry amigo here. Well, they maneuver around and they end up with only one first-round pick. 
But there's N'Kobe Dean in the second round. He's still on the board. You got to take him, right? They pass. They go with Kelsey's replacement. I can't believe it. They get to the third round, and N'Kobe Dean is still sitting there. And they're the team that pulls the trigger on him. And I think they get the best linebacker in college football from this past year. I can't believe that he fell down into the 80s where he was selected. Why? Was it more so the peck injury? Was it more so the previous injuries that he had had? And oh, by the way, with those previous injuries, he was out, went out and was the most productive linebacker in all of college football. Was it the fact that he's a little undersized? I'm still trying to wrap my head around how the hell Eagles got him in the 80s. What do you what did your sources say? Why do you think he dropped as much when you get some people like, oh, I don't know, Rick Saratella, who said he could be a first round talent who I know knows what he's talking about? Why did he drop as much as he did? Yeah, are you kidding me? That was my reaction. What an incredible value pick. To me, the talent is first round. Uh, the main reason why he slid, in my opinion, that that medical recheck in Indianapolis didn't come back so nice. And this torn peck, there was a lot of team doctors that felt like he needed to have surgery. And my early understanding is the Eagles are going to let him kind of try to play through it. He may still need to elect to have surgery on, on that injury, which means what? Okay, he red shirts this season. Yeah. Big, Big deal. deal. Yeah, yeah right. Sure. You know, and so that's why I said like you you're you're stacking chips for the present. Now you're stacking chips for the future, and to me that's the luxury of accumulating all this draft equity. This is what the years and years and years of accumulating all these draft picks, quality over quantity. And yeah, did the did the hype concern some teams before they discovered the peck? Absolutely. I think there was concerns in his past coverage more than anything. But at the end of the day, when you're talking about a guy who was a top 15, top 20 talent, to get him at 84, Nicobe Dean and the Notre Dame safety, Kyle Hamilton, who they got at, I think, 14, who was my number four overall. Baltimore, those, yeah. Yeah, those were two great value picks. Yeah, and the Ravens. Whew, what a draft by the Ravens as a whole. But we'll get into that. I do want to talk about Nicobe because the one thing where I wouldn't have taken him at 24, but yeah, 84 is absurd, the value there. But the reason I wouldn't have taken him at 24 is what you just talked about, pass coverage, Rick. And we talked about, you know, with Jordan Davis and third downs and how important they are in the modern NFL. You know, I, I look at that kid, and even with the athleticism, and then I look at the other side of the football here in Philadelphia. They don't even have to get out of town. And I see Dallas Goddard and the George Kittles of the world and the Mark Andrews and the Travis Kelseys. They're just big, rangy guys. I mean, they can play basketball in front of a 5'11 kid, even if he can cover them and just kind of dominate the middle of the field. Is that pass coverage? Any any bit of a concern, especially the way this league is shifting? Yeah, I mean, we just mentioned the mismatches, right? So when you got these big towering six foot four, six foot five athletic playmaking tight ends, you know, you're talking about a half a foot height difference, right? And so you, you could just throw up some alley oops. And yeah, I mean, I looked around the, re the, the league, there was eight tight ends that had over 90 targets in the NFL last year. That's never happened in the history of the NFL as far as I could find. So you're talking about a quarter of the league now have injected these playmaking, pass-catching tight ends, and that's one of the, the, the newest fads. I mean, everybody's looking to add a playmaker tight end, run a spread attack, 
toss the toss the ball all over the parking lot. Every team is is slinging it and winging it. And I think you need an eraser type. And whether that's you know a linebacker or a safety that can do that, I think you know you do have to question the consistency that Nakobe Dean can guard these guys. He's going to be left in some vulnerable spots if you ask him to do it a lot. But hey, I mean he's he he's capable. He's got the quickness. He's got the lateral ability to do it. But you're just putting him in a mismatch situation in terms of height. Nah, come on. They don't need him to cover tight ends. Eagles got uh, great depth at safety. That's who got. Oh shoot. Maybe they maybe John's got a point here. Um I right, let me ask you about the two guys that the Eagles took on day number three. Didn't quite understand how he's modus operandi. Um they had to give up a lot of the draft capital to get the wide receiver they wanted. They had to give up the capital to get Jordan Davis. So they ended up with uh, much many less picks than when they started the whole process. So they had two sixth round picks. Kyron Johnson. I read your scouting report on him. You thought the kid had some talent, but they've already got Hassan Reddick. He was their big off-season free agent acquisition, and this kid's a Sam linebacker more than anything else. He's a little undersized if you're going to put him on the defensive line. He's one of those tweener guys. How does Kyron Johnson uh, play in the National Football League? Well, I think when you look at the backgrounds, you mentioned Hassan Reddick, and then you look at Kyron Johnson. He's a guy that's played – off ball and then he's also been asked to get after the quarterback at times during his college career which you know I don't think that's going to be his strong suit at the next level but you know we talk about these offenses everybody runs these spread attacks on defense I mean I think a lot of a lot of these defenses now are more of a hybrid mold mold where you need interchangeable parts and guys that can you know be mixed and matched but I think Kyron Johnson is really going to be a guy that makes a living on special teams i think think it was more of a special teams play right and that's that's what kyron johnson i think is bringing to the table yeah and 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 rick when you talk about a kid in the sixth round i mean what's wrong with taking a special teams player the eagles were terrible on coverage last year one third of the game yeah he was a special teams captain he had 17 tackles he runs a four four and in the past they've had players like chris maragos and brian brayman who they weren't playing defense, and if they were, it, you knew there was there was a bunch of injuries. They were just there to play special teams, and for years the Eagles had one of the best special teams uh, groups in the NFL. Uh, I don't think that's a coincidence. I think there's there's some guys are good at special teams, and some guys aren't. Um, and athleticism isn't just what it's about. What what is your take on teams drafting for special teams? I place a huge emphasis on special teams. I know we don't talk about it a lot, but like I just said, it's one third of the game. You take a look at the quality teams year in and year out, and and I have a chance to circulate around some of the training camps. One of the common denominators: all these top caliber teams they spend a good portion of practice on special teams. I mean, you go to New England, they're spending an hour just on special teams each practice. Uh, Philadelphia is the same way. They spend a lot of time on special teams. And so, you know, Maragos is a good one. And I do think that Philadelphia came in with a specific agenda, had some certain needs that they wanted to address. And yeah, at, at day three, it's window dressing, right? I mean, we talked about it. Those first four guys are all either uh, current going to be starting from day one or eventually going to be starting. So you added four new potential starters. Hey, why not solidify some special teams. I'm all for it. 
All right. Is uh, Grant Calcaterra going to contribute on special teams too? Because I don't know if that's the case. Putting the concussion issues aside, which is not easy to do because he dropped out of football for a year because of it. But assuming that that doesn't become an issue, is he good enough to be their tight end too? He's a sprint out guy rather than an inning line guy, which means they're going to be using guided more in line. I, I, I just kind of shrug my shoulders when they made that pick. Another tight end. I know they've got nothing locked in as their backup tight end, but they got a whole bunch of options, including the newly minted tight end, J.J. Arcega-Whiteside, who they like a lot as a blocker. Um, did you like the Calcaterra pick? Give, give us a line of logic behind it. Well, I'll give you the logic. I'll get, the, I'll get there. But I think, you know, talking to some teams, they had this guy completely off their board due to the concussions. I think he had three of them. Yeah, yeah, three. Yeah, that were reported. <laughs> so, you know, this guy's one hit away. You know, uh, f- from from hanging up the cleats. Now, would he have gone higher had he not had the concussions? I think we just talked about the the pass catching phenomenon of these athletic playmaking tight ends. Well, that's the appeal to the Craig Calcaterias of the world. And I think what Howie Roseman's envisioning there is like, hey, you've got. Smith and Brown on the outside. You got now these two tall tree trunks, Goder and Calcateria. Maybe I play a little 12 personnel. And, you know, again, the mismatch equation, Jalen Hurts, some underneath security blankets. So did I love the pick? Not really, because I, I, you know, to me, lottery draft picks are like lotto tickets. I want to eliminate as much risk as possible. This guy's a risky pick. Now, does the upside outweigh the risk? Hey, that remains to be seen. Beauty's in the eye of the beholder. Yeah, you're right. And, and you know, the Eagles need help at, at tight end, too. But one of the issues, and we're talking six rounds. So, you, you, as you mentioned, Rick, at that point, it, it's more of a lotto ticket. But the Eagles could use some lotto tickets at safety. <laughs> or they could use some lotto tickets at cornerback, even though they have a bunch with the Tay Gowans of the world and the Kerry Vincent, who were recent draft picks that they traded for. Mac McCain, they always talk up these young corners. Zach, Zach McPherson, who was a fourth-round pick last year. Um, do you think when it gets to day three later in the draft, need should become a bigger part of the process? Or do you think the opposite in the fact that, hey, just take the best player that late, who you think the best player is? I'm a big believer, BPA, best player available. I think when you start drafting for need, that's when you start making reaches. That's when you start making poor decisions. I think if you stay true to your board, even if you already have adequate depth, you know, it's funny. Today's NFL, it used to be injuries kind of take care of the depth situations. And now it's like, hey, the the divas and the personalities will probably take care of the depth (laughs) situation. Somebody will be asking themselves out of town. So to me – Stack the depth, even if you have it, get the best available player. It'll find a way to work itself out. And you always try to find a way to get your best players on the field. And I think the safety position has truly been devalued. I don't think a lot of them were taken in the draft. Uh, I believe they brought in Reed Blankenship from Middle yeah, Tennessee. Reed, State, Reed Blankenship. Coaches, yeah. yeah, I mean, the coaches love him over there. I know he was injured two years ago and came off of an injury, so he may not have – had the, the the film that scouts wanted to see. He may not have ran the time 
that teams wanted to see. But Reed Blankenship, I mean, that's an equivalent of a day three draft selection right there. And so I think when you take a look at the depth of the safety position and realize not a lot of these guys came off the board, well, hey, let's bring a couple in in the undrafted free agency and, and see if we can uncover a gem. And I think well, and I think safety up is the one yeah. position you can do that at, right? Yeah. And let me follow up real quick because you talked about Reed. They they signed three corners. Um, so it's Josh Joe uh, from Alabama. Um the kid from Clemson, Mario Goodrich, and yep. Josh Blackwell from Duke. Did you have any draftable grades on on those guys? Yeah, I actually had I had Joby as a day three guy coming out of Alabama. Uh, he's a multiple year starter. He's technically sound. Backpedal could be a little bit smoother, but I think a guy that's going to come in and compete for a fifty three man roster. I know uh, the Clemson kid. I think got one of the bigger signing bonuses. So I guess they yeah. kind of value his skill set the most, but I'll tell you what, this Joshua Blackwell, we had him out at the NFL PA bowl. Now, granted, I've never seen seven inch hands. He's got some of the smallest hands I've ever seen, but I guess that's why <laughs> he plays cornerback and not wide receiver. So, but I mean, I think, you know, as funny as it sounds like you, you see that as a scout and you kind of seven inch hands. Wow. Yeah, so, like, and so, you know, that's the only knock I, the kid could cover. He had, had a couple interceptions throughout the week. So he's a smart young man and a, and a clean uh, character. So I think, I think, all those guys have a shot to be at least practice squad material, but that's what it's about bringing in competition that you notice they're all power five program players. And so they're going to battle it out and training camp. Try again, try to find again, guys, I'm pulling out. I'm not even a stat guy, 27 to 33% of every NFL rosters uh, consist yeah. of undrafted free agents. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But I got to ask you about a player that I I was waiting for his name to be called, and then he was. Your cornerback from Ochita Baptist, who you started telling about to me in November, and then you got him at your All-Star game, and you said, Jody, this kid's going to be drafted. Nobody knew who he was two months ago, and now he's going to be drafted. He went in the sixth round, and the Eagles are taking a tight end and a special teams guy in the sixth round. How good is that kid going to be? Now he's a baller. And like I said, I mean, Rod Woodson was in love. Uh, he worked his way out to the senior bowl because his performance was that good. And they said, Hey, well, you know, NFL PA bowl, those are more of your, your, your day three undrafted guys, right? Let's get him up to the senior bowl. See how he does there. He went locked down and I think he's going to thrive at the next level. He, he probably went later in the draft because he's a small school kid. And we did see 24, fcs players this year up from six just a year ago so that was encouraging to see but yeah i mean he would have looked good in kelly green or midnight green but uh i like the gregory jr pick and and uh you know we talked about joshua williams fayetteville state another one of these big cornerbacks that came off the board early so you know it's, it's always good to get that confirmation and and you just you know along along the scouting trails you just kind of fall in love with some of these guys and who, who, who better to root for than the story of an underdog as Philly fans know. Yeah. Well, the Eagles did well, Rick, but I got to tell you, I was at the Novacare complex and every time I looked up, it seemed like the Baltimore Ravens were getting a good player. And, uh, you know, in the fourth round, I think they had half the draft. Um, it was just bang, 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 bang. Is that your, uh, you know, I don't like the term winners and losers, but when you look at your, 
immediate reaction to the draft polls around around the league was Baltimore at the top of your list. Yeah, I would say a lot of my winners were up and down the turnpike. You can take it up to the New York Jersey teams. You could take it down to Baltimore where I really thought you talk about staying true to your board. Eric DaCosta, best player available, man. We talked about Kyle Hamilton. Uh, you know, they get leapfrogged by the Eagles for Jordan Davis. Uh, the Texans later on in the draft get win that that Baltimore was interested in in John Mechie. The Texans trade up and leapfrog him there. And Eric DaCosta is cool as a cucumber, man. He just stays true to his board, takes the best player available. I wish I had the list in front of me because the players they plucked were phenomenal. But yeah. in terms of best player available, that's what DaCosta did here. And I know they lost Hollywood Brown. How about this, guys? In the in a day where, you know, all these guys are, you know, scrubbing their social media clean and making all these announcements and declarations, how about Baltimore? Credit to, to the organization. Hollywood Brown requested a, a trade immediately following the season. Nobody even heard a peep about it. Right. Yeah. Draft day, right? yeah. Yeah. Well, Eric, Eric is tremendous, but yeah, I, he I got the list. 25th overall pick is what, what they actually chose him three years ago. So he got the same yeah. exact value for him. Uh, Kyle Hamilton, Tyler Linderbaum in the first round, Ojabo in the second round, Travis Jones in the third round, Daniel Falele from Minnesota, the big kid from Minnesota, uh, Jalen Armour Davis from Alabama, Charlie Kohler, Jordan Stout, Isaiah Likely in the in the fourth round. They got all yeah. those guys in the All right, but wait, 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 wait. I got to ask about one of those. Matt Areza, you're going to ask, right? Correct. Yeah. The punt the god. The punters yeah. were taken before the punt god? Yeah. What is this, a uh, godless uh, sport we're now playing? In <laughs> I don't know what happened with that one, Jody. I mean. Hang time. It, that was uh, everything I heard. Hang time. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I mean, hey, uh, I've never seen somebody – boot the ball that way and uh if he's not a, a some kind of weapon at the next level then i don't know who is but yeah the jordan stout kid uh penn state there was a, a, a another punter that came off the board there but you know the punt god he wants to do punting now he wants to do field goal kicking he wants to do kickoffs so we'll see where it all well, goes jody yeah, knows I jody knows because he lives in marlton new jersey who the mayor used to be he used to be mayor randy brown they call it the Ravens Kicking Academy. When it comes to kicking, I'm going to defer to the Ravens. Even though I love Matt Ariza, I'm going to defer to the Ravens when it comes to kicking. Justin Tucker's the best kicker I've ever seen. And by the way, Sam Cook was good for years and years and years and years. So they tend to know what they're doing on special teams. And it starts, obviously, with, with, with John Harbaugh. Well, yeah, and we talked about special teams and a good teams valuing that. Right. But, you know, just to dive into some of those picks, uh, the Harbaugh to Harbaugh connection, a Jabu goes yeah. from Michigan to yeah. Baltimore. And in my yeah. opinion, they got the best pass rusher out of Michigan in this year's draft. Yeah. Then they go pluck the best center with, with Linderbaum and, and that inside run. I mean, the, the Ravens might as well go to the triple option here. They pluck two more tight end pay, you know, big, big tree trunk tight end. And then likely out of, Coastal Carolina is a pass catching tight end. And again, like they already took a tight end. They already got Mark Andrews. They're in the war room. They said, Hey man, can we find a home for this guy? We got enough balls to go around. Hey, sure. Just take them. We'll figure it out. And again, that's the mentality that you have to have, I believe. And, 
know, and that big kid from Minnesota, Rick, he's got like Jordan Mailata size. Yeah. Um, he's just massive. Yeah, and I think, you know, Charlie Villanueva would be the comparison if he reaches peak potential. Now, he does have a little bit uh, hip stiffness and has some trouble bending and plays a little bit upright. So I think he's more of a developmental guy. But, man, if they can reel in some of those, which is to be expected from a 309, yeah. Yeah. that six foot nine, 390-pound gargantuan, who, by the way, is the, the biggest player ever drafted in the history of the draft. Yeah. And the Eagles did the same thing with Jordan Mylott a couple of years. And they showed patience, and they waited, and they developed him. And now they got a potential pro bowl left tackle. I want to ask you, before we let you run, about a couple other guys, Eagles side, after the draft. You stayed true to your rating on Carson Strong all year long. Coming into the year, you had him as fourth or fifth best quarterback. You stuck with him as a fourth or fifth and put a fourth-round grade on him. He ends up dropping out of the draft, undrafted signee. Uh, the knee issue, I guess, scared some teams off. I watched a couple of games because I'm on the air till 2 o'clock in the morning on Saturday, so I get to watch Nevada football. Kid's got a howitzer for a right arm but he's purely a pocket passer. Eagles find some gold here in undrafted free agency in Carson Strong? I think so. And I think he could still emerge as potentially being the best quarterback in this year's draft, albeit a short lifespan, because that's what the medical recheck, he was one of those guys that also got called back to Indianapolis and the reports came back, hey, he's got a degenerate knee. He might have three or four years. You know, you might remember uh, Joseph Adai had the same condition and he lasted about three or four years. And so that's what you're getting with Carson strong. Oh, by the way, he's had some uh, collarbone and, and spinal issues dating back to high school. Oh, by the way, he's a very confident young man, which, you know, you need to have a little bit at, at the quarterback position, but he's borderline cocky and rubbed some people the wrong way. So I get it. Carson strong is going to make teams feel queasy. He, they're going to bypass them, but then, you say, well, who got the biggest undrafted free agent contract? There's a reason why <laughs> it's Carson Strong. And so, yeah. you know, to me, like there's a short window here to work with, but he's got all the tools in the toolbox. He's more of your traditional pocket passer, uh, a la, you know, a Sam Bradford type. Uh, but you know what? To me, he can make all the throws. I also didn't love his body language, right? And, and now maybe he's had some humble pie. And if he comes in, goes to work, puts his head down. I mean, I think that it, things could get intriguing around the quarterback position. And by the way, to let the listeners know, EJ Perry from Brown, the Eagles also agreed to terms with him. He has since backed out. He's going to sign with Jacksonville. Um, and that had to do with timing. Carson Strong, the Eagles were waiting after the draft for Carson Strong to make his decision. They thought he was going to go in a different direction, so they agreed to terms with E.J. Perry as well. Then Carson Strong came back and said, yeah, I'll sign with you guys. And then they, they let E.J. out of his, uh, out of his uh, agreement, and he went to Jackson. But which makes sense because you don't need the two best. A lot of people had those guys, Rick, as the two best undrafted quarterbacks uh, after the draft. Yeah, I really liked Brown. I thought he was phenomenal at the East-West Shrine Bowl practices when I took a deep dive there. You could state a case. He was the most impressive quarterback of the bunch that week, and he's got sneaky athleticism, uh, tested extremely well. Now, 
you know, there's some accuracy concerns there. He's a, a different type of quarterback that's going to work the short to intermediate types uh, of, of the field. You can call him maybe a poor man's uh, Mac Jones. And so, you know, I, I think that with uh, Garden Menchu already there, Carson Strong on board and, you know, hey, the Eagles didn't have to do that. And that's another thing I think that kind of gets around the league that, hey, those little things don't go unnoticed. Uh, when it comes to the players, at least. And so, yeah, it makes sense all the way around. All right, give us your read on Kennedy Brooks, the running back that the Eagles also picked up in the undrafted phase. Um, people thought that they would draft a free agent some, uh, uh, running back at some point when they had lesser picks. They didn't go that direction. He's the only guy they brought in, as John just mentioned. They came up with an agreement for two quarterbacks. It got cut back to one. They signed a whole bunch of cornerbacks, um, only one running back. Is Kennedy Brooks a, an NFL back? Uh, do you think he's got a chance to make this team, Rick? I think he has some staying potential, absolutely. Uh, here's a guy, you could classify him jack of all trades, master of none. Not the biggest guy, not the fastest guy. Isn't going to wow you with the measurables, but he's a good football player. And I think running backs – Again, you could pluck a guy in the undrafted free agency if he fits your system. This guy, you know, he's going to be a capable backup. He could come in. He can keep the ball between the tackles on first and second down if you need him to. He can catch the ball out of the backfield on third third down if you ask him to do that. You know, he transferred around a little bit there in college, so uh, didn't really have the most stable collegiate career. And I think he came out as a pretty highly recruited player. So the potential is there. I just think that – Man, some of the uh, free agent running backs, unbelievable. Uh, I mean, I think a handful of these guys are going to stick, and, and Kenny Kennedy Brooks could be one of those guys. So I, I think teams had a hard time kind of getting over the 40-yard dash time or so and armored with speed, speed, speed. And when you kind of stack up the board and you got these evenly close guys on day three, nine times out of ten, the teams are going to go with the faster guy. And I think that's kind of what happened there to Kennedy Brooks. Uh, the great Rick Saratella at Rick Saratella on Twitter. Follow him there. You can read him at si.com backslash NFL backslash draft, the NFL draft Bible. Uh, best in the business as far as I'm concerned. Let's end it on the quarterbacks, Rick, and, and the fact that Kenny Pickett's the only one who went. That surprised me. I thought if Malik Willis got to 20, I thought the Steelers would go in that direction. Evidently, they still feel the burn of Dan Marino. Decades later, don't want to let the pit kid out of Pittsburgh. Um, and then we, we, we don't have another quarterback to the third round in, in an era where it's all about the quarterbacks. So the NFL kind of said, this class really does stink in our mind. Is, that, is there any way to take that? I think we all got bamboozled. Yeah. Right? <laughs> you know, we all No, no, we no, no. Not all of us. Some of us got bamboozled. Mr. <laughs> Eagle's going to take him at 18. Not, not everybody. Well, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll stick to my guns here. I still think Malik Willis was the most attractive quarterback. I'll say it that way in terms of the skill set he possesses and the intangibles that I'm looking for to work with at the next level. Now, you know, you hear that he was a media fabrication and that Liberty played a, dumbed down offense that really didn't ask him to do a lot of reads. And so that was the concern or the knock on Malik Willis. And Hey, for whatever it's worth, I still think the Falcons made an extreme mistake 
taken Desmond Ritter over that kid. And I, I understand why, because Marcus Mariota is not a durable quarterback. At some point, the backup is going to ask, be asked to play valuable snaps. And Desmond Ritter's go, by the way, got 49 starts and is a mature guy. He's got kids. He's going to come in and, and be a, 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 a somewhat stable kind of hold the fort guy, I guess, in terms of a rookie. So I see why they went Ritter over Willis, but the upside of Willis to me is is, is what the great appeal is. And, you know, I know I, I got my 2023 mock draft coming out. Jody's going to pick on me because I got Carolina <laughs> picking number one overall, and he's a big Matt Corral believer, but I got them oh, taking again, you, you don't understand quarterbacks, Aritella. That's a, well, <laughs> all right, Carolina, no Carolina. That's where I was going to go for the last question. Let's say – um, Jalen Hurts doesn't have a very good year. Carson Strong goes, oh, he wrecks his knee because it was falling apart to begin with anyway. With the first pick in the uh, 2023 draft, the Philadelphia Eagles, not the Carolina Panthers, because Matt Corral goes in and wins game for them. Uh, but the Eagles combine the two picks. There's New Orleans. Do what they have to. Add another one. They've got the first pick. Whose name is being called? Is it Stroud? Is it uh, the Alabama kid? Who's going to be the number one quarterback taken off the board next year? Uh, and it'll be a slight uh, adjustment from 20 for Pickett or 80-something for the number two. Chances are they're going one and two next year at the quarterback position. What order do you have them in? Yeah, we're going to get back to our regularity uh, next year. I got five quarterbacks in my top 15 or 16 wow. pick. And C.J. Stroud uh, is... Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org my number one guy right now but it's so close with him and Bryce Young I mean I could wake up a different day of the week and, and think differently I, I just think that uh, Stroud's a couple inches taller I think two inches taller uh, can make all the throws both of these guys I think Bryce Young as funny as it sounds and I know Alabama all they do is reload and Ohio State both of these guys they got to show that they can um roll with the punches of their supporting cast all these guys losing all these big play nfl caliber wide receivers can they still be those heisman trophy type of quarterbacks and i think you know both of these guys are franchise signal callers and what the eagles did to set themselves up here they allowed themselves to not take rick saratella's advice and draft a quarterback they're gonna let jalen hurts <laughs> have another year at this rodeo and they did take uh, Carson Strong as an insurance policy. Gardner Menchie is still in the mix, but we talked about it. He, did, he didn't draft a quarterback, but he went out and signed the best available free agent quarterback. So I want to put it past Howie to draft a quarterback. I'm leaning towards Stroud over Bryce Young, but a lot can happen between now and then, fellas. Ricky, yeah. um, who are those other three quarterbacks you got going in the top 15? Yeah, we got Will Levis out of Kentucky just sneaking in. I think uh, Anthony Richardson I had going to the Steelers out of Florida. And then uh, Tyler Van Dyke out of Miami. You know, the Giants failed to pick up the option on, on Daniel Jones. Joe Shane putting his stamp on the team. 
Uh, I think next year they'll also be. Yeah. And a lot can change, Rick, in 12 months. I think there were a lot of people. Yeah. You bring up supporting cast. There are a lot of people this time last year talking about Sam Howell as a top 10 pick. And all of a sudden he falls apart with his supporting cast leaves. And I think he's fifth round. He went in the fifth round, right? Yeah, fifth round. Yeah. So a lot can happen in 12 months. A lot. Yeah, Jake Jake Fromm, right? I mean, yeah. these yeah. guys are very volatile, and that's what happens from one year to the next in college football. We're bound to see somebody shoot up draft boards that we don't even see coming and uh, somebody who's probably been buried on a depth chart somewhere. And, uh, you know, hey, I know uh, Jody's a fan of Caleb Williams, who's got two years of eligibility remaining, but USC – they're like the poster child of NIL now, the free agency of college yeah, football. They're just yeah. taking everybody, come on over, yeah. $3 million. What NIL, about, hey, I know. Why not? I got to throw out another name because, you know, Spencer Rattler, people were talking about him, and all of a sudden he loses his job to Caleb Williams, and then he's got a, I think he's at South Carolina now. Yeah. Um, any chance for a rebound from him at South Carolina? No, without a doubt, uh, you know, the, the college football free agency carousel, you know, Ke- Keaton Slovis goes from USC to Pitt into that yeah. Kenny Pickett offense, right? And then uh, this kid goes to Sar- uh, uh, South Carolina, Spencer Rattler, again, all the tools in the world, they're expecting him to be this next, you know, Oklahoma great quarterback, and, and, and things didn't really pan out because of immaturity issues. And that's what you heard coming out of high school and then into his college career. It was just the – the immaturity. So he transfers to South Carolina, maybe gets a fresh start, and, and the Gamecocks need uh, a quarterback down there. So he's going to have every opportunity. But that's a perfect example. Five-star recruit, former uh, first-round pick projected, almost like an afterthought coming into this college football season. Here's a guy who could pass for 4,000 yards and 40 touchdowns. Absolutely. As John said, a lot can change in the next 12 months. One thing that won't will be the fact that we'll continue to ask Rick Saratella to join us here on Birds 365. Ricky, thank you very much for all your appearances. Feel free to do the uh, mocks for the next couple of months. We'll keep an eye on it for you, but we get you back on to confirm it uh, uh, soon enough. Thanks for joining us today. No, always a pleasure, guys. Now that the draft is over, I'm going to have to pop down there to Ocean and, and catch up with a, a nice meal with you guys. So Very nice. It. Thanks, Fun Rick. Deal. That is Rick Saratella from NFL Draft Bible here with us on Birds 365. Wow, we went long with Ricky. All right, quickie timeout coming up. We'll come back. Uh, we've got Jeff Mosher from inside the uh, Birds and inside the Birds.com jumping on board next hour. So keep it right here. Stream on a Roku, Fire Stick, Android TV, or Apple TV? Now you can watch 6ABC 24-7 with the 6ABC Philadelphia streaming app. The big story on Exodus. Search 6ABC Philadelphia and start streaming today.
field of life, First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. Lincoln Financial Field is home to more than just our hometown team. It's a landing place for dreams. Invest in the future of our students from all over Philadelphia and get an exclusive tour of the stadium at the Block's Aspire to Dreams Gala, hosted by Brian Taff of 6ABC. While we aspire to build, our students aspire to dream. Join us for the Block's Gala on Thursday, May 5th at Lincoln Financial Field. Seats are limited, so reserve yours today at blocks.org slash gala. In Philadelphia, we celebrated the miracle with pride only five years ago. And then the following morning, IBEW Local 98 members went back to work, building this city, rescuing our communities from decay, and inspiring the young men and women of the region to take pride in who we are. Like the Cats, Local 98 members believe in hope. To learn more about who we are, what we do, and career opportunities with Local 98, visit us, ibew98.org. At Stateside Vodka, every new customer gets the world's best rocks glass, free. You're telling me that bottle is cut in half? You could say that. Go for the midnight dares. Go for the game. Go for the hits. Go for the fans. Go for the win. Go to Ocean Casino Resort. Book your trip at theoceanac.com. John McMullen, Jerry McDonald. You've heard 365 guys here on the Jacob Media YouTube channel. Hey. Punch that like button. We could use like, some help. Share, subscribe, Jody McDonald. Thank you very much. Uh, I do appreciate those who've been tuning in. Uh, our numbers have been up the last couple of days. Understandably, because the Eagles had as successful a draft as they did, this is a moving and shaking time. And the Eagles have not only added via the draft, they subtracted Nate Herbig yesterday. John and I talked about that at the top of the show. They did introduce A.J. Brown to the people here in Philadelphia. Kid's got a personality, and I like a little personality with my wide receiver. Now, there are divas, and then there are divas. Uh, some guys could take it a bit too far. I didn't get that. It was our first chance to meet him, and you guys will get a chance to talk to him plenty over uh, the next couple of years. But he really made it sound like Jalen Hurts is his BFF. That yeah, They're not just they pals. Really they're close, not just man. boys. They're like lifelong friends and that uh that was one of his main goals in the nfl was to catch balls from his guy jalen hurts how much effect do you think hurts had on the acquisition of brown um i think a, a, a little bit i i do think you know he did mention it was bittersweet leaving tennessee i i do think he would have you know his first choice would have been for tennessee to pay him um I, I think, you know, he developed there. Uh, I think he liked it there. Uh, and he was a little hurt that the Titans didn't want to give him the money and extend him. And then when that didn't become an option, then it became, yeah, I, I want to go play with my, my buddy. Um, and they got close during when he was getting recruited by Alabama is, is when they got close. And he didn't go to Alabama, obviously, but they got coached so close that they, 
you know, stayed friends. And they talk all the time. They, Everybody saw they were working out. Everybody saw the video of when AJ got drafted, you know. Um, they're very, very close. So, yeah, once Tennessee was out of the equation, I think, you know, Philadelphia was – we always talk about two receivers want to come here. Well, this receiver wanted to come here. So everything is about individual situations, and this is one. I always joke about Jalen Hurts. The one thing about Jalen Hurts, guy's got more friends than anybody in the world. I mean, everybody <laughs> loves the guy. Everybody loves the guy. I'm, it's unbelievable. Uh, people gravitate towards him. Um, and that's one of the reasons why the Eagles are excited about his development. That and the fact that he's constantly improved year year over year over year, which is rare. You usually have some ebbs and flows um, and some down ticks. Um, and he's got consistently better, really. Even when he got benched at Alabama, he was better that season um, than the year before. Um, so a lot of good things to like about Jalen Hurts. Um, but now we're at that point, Jody. There's no more, you know, in the past you could say, well, the Eagles don't have this. They don't have that. This one domino, I was talking about this. We did a football 24-7 hit with Xander. I did with Xander Krause um, after the press conference. This one domino, man, you got A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, Quez Watkins, Dallas Goddard, Miles Sanders in a contract year, Kenny Gainwell, who the Eagles think is going to be a really good third down receiving back. One of the, at worst, top five offensive lines in the league, maybe the best. There's not going to be any hemming and hawing. We're, 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 we were still doing that this offseason. Well, is he good enough? Is he not good enough? Because you have these, well, he didn't have this. He didn't have that. He didn't have this. No more. No more. If they're healthy, <clears throat> That's that's a good group. That's a good group on paper. It is. He's got uh, certainly the best uh, conglomerate of weapons that he's ever had. What is the thing? And I know this can probably change between now and when the season starts. Uh, and you and I are both analytics guys to a point. We're not slaves to them, but we <laughs> do understand uh, the use of them and the like. What is the thing that you, the one stat, if there is one stat, that you will zero in on when you're analyzing Jalen Hurts. Not only is he helping the Eagles win games, but is he showing that he's going to be the quarterback that is going to carry them? It's been a year-to-year thing. They drafted him. He was going to be a backup. Uh Uh-oh. Carson Wentz goes off the deep end and decides he doesn't want to be here anymore. Boom. He's the starting quarterback at the end of his rookie year. Then this past year, he's handed the starting quarterback job with measured expectations and people like certain things that he did. And here's what he has to improve on. What is the biggest thing he has to improve on that we can glean through statistics this offseason uh, that you need to see Jalen Hurts uh, get better at? Uh, well, unfortunately, I don't think there is a number. I think if there was, it would be easier. I think it's more about efficiency, and the Eagles are going to know. And I, I I, said with Damo yesterday, I put the over-under at six games. Uh, he, he said more half the season, eight. But somewhere in that range, eight, nine games, you're going to know. And how are you going to know? 
well, the efficiency of the offense. If they're not efficient by that point, you're going to you're going to know, all right, this is not the guy. I mean, we we've done everything possible. Um and and from the Eagles standpoint, it's about things like, all right, you're Nick Sirianni. You know the progression of a certain play. You called it, you developed it, you you drew up the play. You know where the football is going to go. One one of the concerns the Eagles have is the hesitancy uh, to throw the football when it's on time, when it needs to be thrown. And again, in the past, you could say, well, he doesn't trust this receiver. He doesn't trust this receiver. And I don't want to say which receiver because I might get blocked. But, (laughs) you know, we, we could say that, incredibly say that credibly say it and say, well, these guys aren't good enough. So, you know, I don't want to call it an excuse, better called an explanation, but, you know, there were explanations for why Jalen Hurts didn't succeed because of the supporting cast. Those are gone. Those are gone. Barring injuries, of course, and everything's barring injuries, but you know, you can't, you can't have much better than AJ Brown, Devontae Smith, Dallas Goddard. You can't have much better than, you know, Miles has got to play better. But you have enough in the backfield. Uh, You can't have a superstar at every position. Um, We know the offensive line. I mean, what more could you ask for, Jody, as a quarterback in this league? And I hear what you're saying, but there is one issue that I think you're, you're, uh, well, just miscalculating. I want to say glossing over, but uh, you may be miscalculating. Oh, there is the possibility that Jalen Hurts can land in that great spot again next year. He did this year, and you're right. With A.J. Brown as an addition, the explanations uh, do not uh, exist the way that they did this season with Jalen Hurts' quarterback play. So let's say he goes from 3,100 yards to 3,500 yards. Oh, it's better. Let's say he goes from 16 touchdown passes to 22 or 23 touchdown passes. Oh, he's up almost 33%. Let's say his uh, completion percentage goes up from 61 to 66 and change. Well, some quarterbacks are completing 70%, so he's not there. But he showed improvement, went up by five or six points, and his quarterback rating goes from 872 to 93. Yeah, you want to see 100, but he went up 95, 96. You don't you don't think he can possibly land in that gray area zone again where we're still going well yeah, there's but. Two, I, I I yeah, maybe we will. Maybe 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 we'll debate it on this show. Maybe callers on 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 WIP with you will certainly debate it. Um but the Eagles are not going to be debating it. I'm, I'm talking about the Eagles. Now, there's even a, a way where Jalen Hurts is going to be the starter again next year because one of the problems with what the Eagles have done is they're not going to be that bad. I mean, they're not going to be a bad football team. No, they made so, the playoffs this year. Why can't they make the playoffs next year? They just hit an A.J. They're, they're the best team in the division and not the second best team. We'll see how it shakes out because I think Dallas has come back to them. But, um, you know, they're not going to be in a position to get Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud. So they might have to go with Jalen Hurts again as the quarterback, but they will know either we have to get better and this is a bridge 
where this is our guy. That's what I'm talking. Sometimes you can't get better. Sometimes you you want to get better. They want the Eagles want a corner. They want a safety right now. Sometimes you can't get everything you want. Um, and you got to go forward with what you have or the best what you can acquire. So they might be in that position, but they will know. There will be no more uh we we no more we're we're thinking about this could be the guy. They will know it's a bridge at that point, is what I'm trying to say. All right. They may know, but they may they may put up a front that says we know here's what we're doing, but not really know behind the scenes. And that's why we have shows like Birds 365 to debate it. That's why they have Inside the Birds podcast with our buddy Jeff Mosher and Adam Kaplan. Oh, that Mosher guy's gonna join us next. John McMullen, Jody McDonald here with John Burge, Stream on a Roku, Fire Stick, Android TV, or Apple TV. Now you can watch 6ABC 24-7 with the 6ABC Philadelphia streaming app. The big story on action. Search 6ABC Philadelphia and start streaming today. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. Lincoln Financial Field is home to more than just our hometown team. It's a landing place for dreams. Invest in the future of our students from all over Philadelphia and get an exclusive tour of the stadium at the Blocks Aspire to Dreams Gala hosted by Brian Taff of 6ABC. While we aspire to build, our students aspire to dream. Join us for the Blocks Gala on Thursday, May 5th at Lincoln Financial Field. Seats are limited, so reserve yours today at blocks.org slash gala. In Philadelphia, we celebrated the miracle with pride only five years ago. And then the following morning, IBEW Local 98 members went back to work, building this city, rescuing our communities from decay, and inspiring the young men and women of the region to take pride in who we are. Like the cats, Local 98 members believe in hope. To learn more about who we are, what we do, and career opportunities with Local 98, visit us, ibew98.org. At Stateside Vodka, every new customer gets the world's best rocks glass, free. You're telling me that bottle is cut in half? You could say that. Go for the midnight cares. Go for the game. Go for the hits. Go for the fans. Go for the win. Go to Ocean Casino Resort. Book your trip at theoceanac.com.
McDonald McMullen here with you on Birds 365. We have a esteemed guest joining us. Even though he's not a member of the uh, follically challenged air club, <laughs> looks like he's got his summer due already uh, quaffed in nicely. Jeff Mosher joins us here on Birds 365. Looking good there, Mosh. Thanks, brother. I appreciate it. And uh, I'm I'm not yet a member of the Follicle Challenge, yeah. but I'm getting pretty close. <laughs> Come to get us all at some point. Just In fact, it's, it's good to hang out with you guys because it makes it look there me you look go. Like you got a full <laughs> head of hair compared to McMullen and McDonald. That's yeah. for damn sure. How are you yeah, guys doing? It's my job. Uh, it's good to see you, Jeff. Uh, you too. Uh, let's start with your just your early thoughts on the Eagles. Obviously, a couple of splash moves in the draft on, on day one. Uh, I think a lot of value in day two. People really excited with N'Kobe Dean uh, as a value pick in the third round with some, you know, injury cost benefit analysis factored in. Uh, and then not much uh they could do in the day three because of all they used in draft capital to get two potential difference makers. Just your overall thoughts on the, on the draft. Yeah. I mean, there, there's a lot to look at and um, you know, because the draft is sort of this crapshoot, right. And you never exactly know until they start playing, but there's a lot to look at and say from a value standpoint, John, I mean, you can make an argument that they got, two definitive first round talents in Jordan Davis and AJ Brown and one top 40 talent in Nicobe Dean. So whenever you come out of draft weekend and you can say you got that, that's pretty good from a value standpoint. There's no doubt about it. Um, There are some things that I think that you look at overall with uh, some of the guys and and you, you have some concerns about until they get on the field and play with Jordan Davis. Obviously it's his weight. With Nicobe Dean, obviously it's his medical history. Um, and then, of course, the idea that they came out of the, the entire three-day extravaganza without, once again, a safety or a corner is also uh, a concern. And even the second-round pick, Cam Jurgens, is a guy that may have to sit his entire first year, although they plan to cross-train him at guard. He's never played guard in his entire life. And I would say even if he could play guard, do you really want a 300-pound center and a 300-pound guard when you didn't have – you know, you used to have Brandon Brooks at guard as he's 330 and Landon Dickerson's 360. I mean, that was kind of the the backbone of your offensive line was you were a mauling offensive line, and it would be hard to be that with two guys who just barely tipped the scales at 300. But that's all stuff for the the Eagles to work out. They clearly uh, are an improved team on paper. All right, I'm going to go both – Optimistic and pessimistic in one fell swoop with a hypothetical question for you here, Mosh. Mm-hmm. Jordan Davis shows up in camp. He's 325 pounds. He's svelte. He's a wrecking ball and a killing machine, and nobody can stop him in the middle of that line. He's easily their best defensive tackle. How much does he play? It's a great question. Do you not use Fletcher Cox? Do you minimize Javon Hargrave? What happens if he comes in, he's everything they expected, and a bag of chips? How does that defensive rotation work at DT? Yeah, it's a good question. And I think you sort of have to, if that were the case, uh, you'd sort of have to talk to Fletch about the idea of a less is more and go back to his earlier or middle of the career days when um, he was really, you know, not playing. He was not on the field. 70% of the time, more like 55 to 60. 
that's what you see Vita Vea at. He, he plays about anywhere between 55, 65% of the snaps. And the same thing with, um, I was a big, oh, hold on, I went and looked at how much he used to play. So even, so Jordan Davis, as good as you're saying he might be, is not going to play upwards of 60 to 70% of the snaps. And neither is Fletcher Cox. And no matter who starts out there on snap one, at the end of the game, it's going to look pretty similar as far as everybody's going to be rotated in and out. So um, I think you can look Fletcher Cox had a chance after being released to sign anywhere. He came back to Philadelphia. He's making $14 million. There's got to be someone who can sit down and say, all right, if this team that comes out, let's say we play the Titans week one and they come out with Derrick Henry and then two tight ends, they want to run the ball. We're going to put Jordan Davis out there with either you or Hargrave, most likely Hargrave, right? And then you're going to come in as soon as it's second and nine, right? As long as we stop the run and you're going to get in there to rush the passer. I have a feeling Fletch at this stage of his career is going to be all right with that. I know last year he was a little upset with the structure of the defense, but we know that hasn't changed. The coordinator hasn't changed and he re-signed back here, frankly, for a lot more money than probably anybody else was going to give him for one year. So I think he'll, he'll, he'll live with that. Jeff, you know the conventional wisdom in this league is generally uh, if you're going to be a high draft pick, you better be on the field on the most important down, third down. Um, you got to help win games. You know, how many games, how many NFL games are decided late in the fourth quarter? I mean, you know, 70%. if you're not going to impact the passing game, either offensively or defensively, you shouldn't be that high of a draft pick as Jordan Davis. That's the conventional wisdom. Now, the Eagles will tell you, JG will tell you, that they had a real difficult time stopping the run. And that turned, you know, third down into third and three and third and two instead of third and seven or third and eight or third and 12 and people behind the sticks. And that makes it easy to complete 80% of the passes. So it is are the Eagles being sort of open-minded and saying, well, this guy's a different type of difference maker? Um, or or do you subscribe to that? It's got to be on the field on third downs. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that there are some exceptions, you know, and the Eagles have never been afraid to to make some exceptions. For example, they drafted Andre Dillard when they had Jason Peters, and there was the idea that he may not get on the field until year two, even though Peters had a bunch of injuries. So they've never been afraid to do that. Whether that's right or wrong, it, it's sort of case by case. But there are some teams that will take, certain players in the first round for the promise of tomorrow more so than today. Uh, when you look at what Jonathan Gannon wants to do structurally, at least what we think he wants to do is you go back to the first half of last year. He wanted to play his safeties deeper. He wants to play his linebackers a little bit back. And to do that, to play sort of like a Tampa two or a cover two, you need to have a mammoth run stuffing defensive tackle. And it's not like the Eagles went out there and only got, Tony Siragusa, right? Somebody who can only, or, or Gilbert Brown. I know I've, I've seen that comparison. I don't think that's fair because Jordan Davis is a unicorn who he's actually, to me, a, a three technique like Fletcher Cox in a nose tackles body because he can play in the B gaps and he can twist. He can stunt. He can post snap move. You can see it on the tape. He's not just a, a big old dude that you stu- put in there to stuff the run. So what I think the Eagles saw was the bigger picture here, John, in that, the widespread impact he would have not only on the defensive line, but if you have Jordan Davis in the game and he's effective, then your offense is probably not going to try to run the ball up the middle. 
So that's going to take a load off of your linebackers who tend to be, you know, smaller and undersized. They worked better when they were sideline to sideline and having Jordan Davis helps you go sideline to sideline. And then if you're Jonathan Gannon and you feel more comfortable playing two safeties deep now, again, like you tried to do last year, and you know, you can stop the run with two safeties deep. Well, now you've added an extra protection for your corner opposite Darius Slay, who last year was Steven Nelson, and they had to work around and scheme around last year. So by just having Jordan Davis on the field in certain down and distances, they're expecting a wider spread impact on the entire defense that's going to help the linebacker and the corner. Well, let me get another healthy speculation out of you on Jonathan Gannon. Um, they made their big free agent move day one, gave us on Reddick nice chunk of change, double-digit sacks each of the last two years. The Eagles had zero double-digit sacks guy uh, uh, over the last two years, so the upgrade is obvious. But how they're going to use him isn't. Um, he is kind of a tweener. He's a little undersized for defensive line. You get him in there, you're going to run the pass. The other team ends up running the ball. Uh-oh. Uh, might have an issue. He's not as good when he's playing linebacker. If you get caught in the wrong type coverage, might be asked to cover somebody out of the backfield. It's going to come down to pushing the right buttons. Do you have faith that Jonathan Gannon will do that with the San Reddick? And how do you think it's going to play most times him as a uh, defensive end or a Sam linebacker? Yeah, so I think he's both. I think he's two players wrapped in one. He's what Jannard Avery was last year on first and second down, which is the fifth guy on the line, a, a linebacker who comes up and plays right next to the um, the uh, uh, right end, right defensive end. So it gives you a five-man defensive line, and that gives you an extra run defender or someone who diverts the run. And then if that's successful enough, that they stop the run well, and it's second and long or third and long, Someone comes off the field. That's what they have to figure out. Which lineman is now coming off the field because Hassan Reddick is staying on the field and they're going to be a more, I assume, will be a more traditional 4-3 team with, say, Reddick and Sweat as your edge rushers and then Cox and Hargrave or Davis and Cox or Davis and Hargrave or Barnett, maybe Brandon Graham kicked inside. I mean, the, the beauty is they have a lot of guys. It does sort of remind you, I'm going to get in trouble for saying this, but of the depth that the 2017 uh, team had, right? I mean, there's no doubt that team was deep on the D-line and they figured out roles for everybody and it worked well. This team has that kind of depth. You can argue about the talent level of certain guys, certainly. That's fine. Um, But they have a lot of bodies and that's for them to figure out. But there's no, in my mind, Hassan Reddick is on the (laughs) field as much as he possibly can be because he's going to rush the passer. Now, the, the the question you brought up is what happens if he's on the field in that 5-2 look as the Sam linebacker on line of scrimmage and the opposing offensive coordinator says, well, we're just going to come out and play action pass on first down all the time and try to attack his area because he will have to drop in that situation. Or if he's a rusher, somebody else is going to have to drop and cover the flats and the comebacks whether that's him, whether that's a linebacker, that they got to figure that out, and that'll be schematic along with personnel. But in, but the idea is that Hassan Reddick was, as you mentioned, has double-digit sacks, was paid a lot of money. He's going to be on the field uh, occupying both of those roles. Uh, Jeff, you mentioned that term depth. Um, when I think depth and the Philadelphia Eagles, I start on the other side of the football, and that's the offensive line. And, you know, it was interesting – I started to mull yesterday. Um, you know, the Eagles might think about moving on 
from Isaac Sayamalo because Isaac's really expensive uh, for a guard. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's played, I think, uh, I think the number is 12 games over the past two years. So he's had some injury problems. He's coming off with a list rank injury. Nick Sirianni loves Jack Driscoll. He's one of his favorite players. Um, and Jack played well, even though he's had his own injury problems through his first two years. The one thing I didn't see coming is Herbie getting the ax uh, so quickly. Uh, Eagles obviously tried to trade him. Um, weren't able to get anything done. Really did him kind of a solid by letting him get out there and try to find another job at this point. But um, any surprise at all that the Eagles moved on from Nate Herbig so quickly or should they have kept him through training camp and maybe tried to create the Matt Pryor like uh, trade. You're, you're only going to get a sixth or seventh pick, but it's something. Should they yeah. have waited yeah. it out? I mean, they could have. I think that, um, you, you know, you're right in that you probably almost can definitely make sure you get yourself a deal at some point if he's not going to be on your team. But you can also look and say that I think the RFA tag for him was what, two and a half million? Yeah, and um, that's a lot of money for a third. That's a lot of money for a backup. He became a third string center when they drafted Cam Jurgens. You have to now put Cam Jurgens on your second string offensive line, give him those reps, and and get him ready to be the center if Jason Kelsey were to get hurt. So that moves Herbig to only only guard. And as you mentioned, you have Jack Driscoll there. You have um, the kid from Indianapolis they signed last year, uh, Clark LaRaven Clark. LaRaven Clark. Right. They've got other. They've got Sua Opeta who. some people say can the only Tesla play right stock. Guard. Yeah, they yeah. love they love Sua. Yeah, and of course Isaac Sayamalu, who's going to compete with Dris- Driscoll. You would imagine as of right now, right now at right guard. So, and the loser of that, may- Sayamalu, most likely will, will probably be a candidate, as you're mentioning, to get traded um, down the road. So, how many offensive linemen do you want to get stuck having to trade down the road um, at one time, including Andre Dillard? We'll see what happens with him, and now that he's 325 pounds. Uh, we were told on inside the birds that he might start taking a few reps at at guard, maybe perhaps as a cross training thing anyway. But he, you know, three twenty five, you're talking about okay that you can see that a little bit at guard. So they had so much depth. I think they did the right thing. They have a good relationship with Kenny Sarnoff, the agent, and I think it made sense financially for them to do that. Um, the question that you have is is Isaac Sayamalo. He he actually you know he has a team friendly deal if he's a starter. Yeah, but he, you're right. He's an expensive backup. But they can't make a move yet, I don't think, until they see how Jack Driscoll um, is going to respond. He was on IR at the end of the year. It's my understanding. I, I don't know if they're 100% certain he'll be ready for OTA. So I think they want to see that first before they make any other kind of corresponding type moves. I uh, want to get another speculatory read out of you. Who's going to have more touches this year? <laughs> Miles Sanders or uh, the running back Daniel? that they took, uh, yeah. Um, and Miles on the last year of his deal for me, he's still their most talented player, but Gainwell is younger and uh, they like what they saw out of him last year. Uh, I'm a Boston Scott guy, so he's gonna get his little uh percentage of uh plays and touches and the like. But who's gonna get more touches? Um, assuming equal health. If they're both uh, good for all 17 games or 15 games or 14 games apiece, it's not one guy's hurt, the other one's playing. Who sure. gets more touches, Gainwell or Sanders? Well, if they're smart, it's Miles Sanders. A, because he's still their most talented running back. 
And B, it's because if you, if you don't plan on giving him a contract extension, then you'll ride him as long as you can. I mean, you take the Pittsburgh Steelers yeah. Le'Veon yeah. Bell approach yeah. and say, all right, you're not going to sign this. You're getting about 500 touches this year, brother. Good luck next year. <laughs> so, uh, in fact, Le'Veon had to take a whole year off to recover yeah. from that. So, I, I think that they should give Miles Sanders every opportunity, give him the ball. He's their most explosive player. He can um, pretty much do anything that a running back needs to do. He just has to stay healthy. So I would that that would be my guess that he gets the most touches until he unless he gets hurt. Yeah, I've asked this to quite a few people. I'll ask you as a Penn State guy, Jeff. Um, <laughs> you know, Miles. I don't think any of us question Miles's talent, um, but we know what the Eagles think of this position as a whole, and they're not the only team. It's you know the most devalued position in the NFL. So I look at the second contract. I can't find a path for him to be on the Eagles again next year because if he if he plays, if they do run him into the ground, the Eagles are not. And even if he has a big year, the Eagles are not going to want to give him big money because they know what's coming on right. the other side of that. Right. And if he plays poorly, they're going to move on and just sort of uh, keep the carousel going and, and go in a different direction. Is there any path for Miles Sanders to be here in in twenty uh, twenty three? The only path I could see, John, is that if Miles Sanders is having a pretty good year, not like a you know crazy Christian McCaffrey three years ago type year, but having a pretty good year, and it looks like he's he's you're happy with what you got, you try to approach him for an extension around the middle of the year. Now, at that point, he'd probably be ludicrous to sign it, but he does have an injury history. So you kind of play on that, right? You say, look, you know, you try to extend him to a team-friendly contract. And the Eagles have paid running backs. They did it late with Brian Westbrook. They did it with LaShawn McCoy. So when they identify a guy, they're not afraid to extend him for big money. It's just never going to be like top three at the time money. And so that's probably how they can approach it with Miles. Sometime around week five, week six, if he's having a good year, started every game, doing what you need him to do. Then you approach him about a contract extension that sort of has that team friendly, um, but gives him enough money where he feels pretty comfortable about it. And if he says no and wants to gamble on himself and make more on free agency, you say, all right, go, go for it, you know, and, and, and I can see them doing that, but I don't, you're, I, you're right. If he has an amazing year, you know, 1500 yards, 10, 10 combined touchdowns and he doesn't sign anything by the end of the year, I don't see that extension coming. I, uh, Jeff, uh, John and I end up talking more about this guy than we think we ever going to. And that would be Epsy, Marcus Epps, who uh, Howie Roseman a couple times have suggested, you know, I know you guys think of Epps, but we might think a little bit better of Epps than you do. As of right now, he's the Eagles' other starting safety. And they brought back Anthony Harris on a very team-friendly deal. So they have not put much time. Well, I think they put a lot of time in. They just haven't put any money into the safety position just yet. If Marcus Epps is their safety for 80% of the snaps this year, is that going to be good enough for the birds to be a playoff team? I think we're asking the wrong question. And I'm pro maybe I'm on an Island on this, but I think you should be asking that question about the other starting safety, not Marcus Epps. Yeah. Marcus yeah. Epps can run. They like yeah. Marcus Epps. He can turn and flip his hips and run better than anybody they have at that position. Does that make him perfect? Absolutely not. Does that make him more of a fit for the way the game is played in this league than, than Anthony Harris? Absolutely. I mean, I think if you ask certain people in the building who would you rather have, they take Epps because he's younger and he can run 
And Anthony Harris is basically, uh, I'm not trying to be disrespectful. He's just an okay average safety back on a one-year deal. Um, so, I, yeah, I, I think in general, it's not a great safety outlook. I mean, Marcus Epps and Anthony Harris, and of course, Kevon Wallace, who they have, who has not endeared himself to them yet, is their number three. You know, I don't, at this point, there's nobody out there in free agency with Tron Matthew gone that I think that they're going to sign and say, you're our starter. So they may sign somebody for depth. Maybe they work out a trade, but I, I yeah, I, I honestly think you got what you got. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you, Jeff. I think Epsi is the Eagles' best safety right now. That number one, safety one, is Marcus Epps. Now, if he's safety one, that's safety problem for my. Well, that, that's fair, and you know, sure. they tried to sign Marcus Williams, so they're they know they need a better player at the position, but yeah, I, it, it's strange to me. And I put it on Twitter. I think, you know, the fan base, I always, they latch on to certain players and sometimes they don't understand and they dismiss certain players. Sometimes I don't understand. Marcus Epps is that guy right now. I think he's the most underrated player by the fan base. The Eagles have for whatever reason. I don't, I don't necessarily understand it, but they have other problems in the secondary, Jeff, and that's corner. Mm-hmm. Big news out of the New York Giants have been trading, trying to trade James Bradbury. Hasn't worked out. Man, that'd be a perfect corner for the Philadelphia Eagles. That is a good zone corner. Maybe, yeah, now, that's that's his style, right? Yeah, right. might be a little bit expensive even at this point. I think if they do release him, uh, I think he'll have plenty of suitors. Could that be a fit here, though, James Bradbury? It's one of those situations, and sometimes we say this about the Eagles, right? Um, wh- why would they release him? Don't you think that they could be able to flip James Bradbury for at least a six? Like, isn't there someone who wants fr- – you You see it with running backs, you understand that. You see it with certain positions, linebackers, sure, those guys get cut because th- that position is very fungible. Cornerback, not so much. So I'd be shocked. Well, no, I wouldn't be shocked. But I, if I'm the Giants, I'm doing everything I can to, I'll take a future sixth instead of just letting him go to. The well, all right. Level. Let's say the Eagles have to give up a future sixth. Uh, no, I, mean, I wouldn't trade him to the Eagles for if I were the Giants. Yeah, for- it's in in division, <laughs> but we've seen more of that. You saw uh, the kid from Cherry Hill, Quasi Adolfa Mensa, uh, mm-hmm. trade with the Detroit Lions and the Green Bay Packers in the same sticking first round. Well, right. the Packers trade was. It's I guess two picks into the second round. Um, there seems to be more willingness with the new era of mm-hmm. GMs to, you know, talk to each other and 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 make those types of deals. But yeah, that would be difficult for the Giants from an old school thinking perspective. Right. I would say Dave Gettleman wouldn't do it, but <laughs> you never know with Joe Schoen. Now the problem with Bradbury is he makes a ton of money, a ton of money right now. So. If you're trading for him, you got to pick up the contract. That's the issue. That that's is why the they're not getting any offers for him. No, that's probably it's why they're not. His contract is too yeah. big. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's going to be dangerous because then he could go. He could go to Dallas. He could go to Philadelphia. He could go to a lot of teams that like to play zone. Now, interestingly enough, the Eagles want to play zone, but they had to play a lot of man by the end of last year because of their their schematic issues and their personnel issues. But now that they've reshaped some things, they'll probably, I would think, go back to being a, a heavily zoned team. So Bradbury could definitely fit there. That's a name 
you absolutely have absolutely have to keep your eye on if he gets released by the Giants. All right, uh, Mosh. Andy Weidel has been rumored to be the top candidate to be the Steelers' general manager. Kevin Colbert ran the draft, is stepping aside. We expect an announcement in a week or two. They can take their time here because you want to get your guy in place once you start opening your camps and stuff like that, but it's about a major rush. If he is Pittsburgh choice, the Eagles took a couple of hits already this year, losing guys from that uh, general manager factory that they've got in their front office. Weidel would be another one. He'd actually become the GM, unlike the two guys who already left for the assistant positions. Are the Eagles situated in a good enough spot to be able to replace these guys coming up for the next year? Hmm. That's a great question. Situated in the spot. I mean, they're, they're, you're right. They have to replace at least one of the two guys uh, that they lost there. Um, and if they do lose Andy Weidel, then they would have to find another guy. Now, Howie's pretty good at finding guys. You know, like when he brought in Dave Caldwell, brought in um, – uh, who's the former chief GM that's who's escaping me uh, right John now? John Dorsey. Dorsey, right. He finds guys all the time. In fact, just, just knowing how Howie works, I know that, you know, with Mike Mayock out there, it wouldn't shock you if you tried to reach out to Mayock. Yeah, that's a big joke. Yeah. Yeah. He's, He's recommended that. Yeah, yeah, no, and, and I'm not reporting. I'm just, I'm just no, speculating no, on yeah. how Howie kind of goes after these yeah. guys. I mean, he had Phil um, from the Browns. Phil, why Phil Savage. Phil Savage Phil at Savage. one point in, in the uh, – front office so you could see howie doing that i thought look i think that this is they're going to be for howie at least um now that the draft is over priority number one is figuring out the future of the front office with all the losses i mean he talked about it so much about how difficult it was and um a little bit sour grapes in my opinion but you know because the rule's been around forever and all of a sudden it hit the eagles and he was upset about it but and then they got it changed um but I, I have to think that number one priority for him is to make sure the front office is replenished, restocked. So I would assume he is going to find some people and people are always looking to, you know, the Eagles do pay well. So I think that that puts them in an advantage over some other clubs. So yeah. I don't doubt that they'll be able to fill their, their spots. And Andrew Berry, obviously Andrew um, Berry, another in, one in, Thank you. in between yeah. his stints with the Browns. Uh, he's at Jeff Mosher NFL on Twitter, host of inside the birds with our buddy, Adam Kaplan, read them on insidethebirds.com. Get the podcast wherever you get your favorite podcast. Jeff, uh, final one from me, two players, uh, Jalen Rager, Andre Dillard. They got past the draft. Uh, you know, I think there's still significant value with Andre Dillard with this team. Didn't pick up his fifth year option yesterday. That was expected. Uh, he's in great shape. Anybody who saw him. Uh, post this stuff on Instagram. Um, he's going to be a starting left tackle in this league next year somewhere, not this mm -hmm. upcoming season, 2023. Mm -hmm. Jalen Rager, on the other hand, I don't know. There's there's not much value there. How we went on record saying, no, he's a part of the Eagles, but it's interesting. They never talk about him. Yes, Nick Sirianni, even before A.J. Brown got here, he had started talking about Devontae and Quez and Zach Paschal before Jalen Rager. Odds, week one, Andre Dillard's here, uh, Jalen Rager's here. So, all right, let's start with Andre Dillard. He he does serve a decent purpose now, right? Because, I mean, he's, he's now worked himself into 325, and maybe he's got some positional versatility. He's still a backup, and so that makes you wonder why is he on the team if there's going to be some demand for him as a backup. 
but we've seen the Eagles value backups on the offensive line. Uh, they don't have to trade him, in my opinion, because as you just mentioned, John, the likelihood of him signing a deal in free agency means that they've probably calculated what kind of deal they think he can get and how that would help them in the comp pick formula. And if they think they can get a fourth because of losing him, then they're not going to accept anything lower than a four for trading him. So you can see them hanging on to him in that regard or maybe waiting for somebody to get an injury and really come desperately calling. Um, they're going to obviously give him a lot of snaps in the preseason, showcase the new physique and hope he plays well. And he played fairly well last year in the preseason. So you can see that happening. So I don't think there's an urgency with him to be moved. Jalen Rager, a little different. And I know that, you know, how he talks about he's an eagle and that's, you know, we, we still want to make something work and we want to have as many good players that position. But it's clearly, as you mentioned, he, he the coach doesn't see him high on the pecking order at all. The coach sees A.J. Brown. The coach sees Devontae Smith. The coach sees Quez Watkins. The coach got his teacher's pet in Zach Pascal. So that's already four guys right there that are probably higher on the totem pole. So you have a first-round pick as your fifth receiver. That's a backup receiver, special teams. He doesn't play special teams. So it's a to me, it's bad financially, and it's bad from optics standpoint for the Eagles and Jalen Rager to just sit there on the bench collecting dust while the team is playing. All right. So I think it would be wise of them to move on. Uh, I know how, that's tough for Howie. The only thing for and, – and I know there will be a market. There will be a market for Jalen Rager. I know that. The question is – Howie has been stubborn in the past. You saw it with Zach Ertz, had an opportunity to take a deal, didn't, waited till the middle of the year and traded him and didn't really get what he wanted. It was a fifth-round pick in Tay Gowan. Yep. So is he going to be stubborn about Jalen Rager because Jalen's a first pick, a first-round pick in his? Could be. We'll see. But um, that one, to me, if there's going to be a deal, it's going to happen way before, before Andre Dillard, I would imagine. Uh, and Dillard, I'll believe that he can play other positions when I see him play other positions. Just hey, I'm with you on that. I know I think it's great that he body, up, but that, yeah. that that doesn't prove anything to me. Um, right. I mean, this guy struggled. If you're going to say one thing he struggled with as a as in college and a pro, it was bull rush. I mean, he was a finesse yeah. player. Oh, yeah. So now you're going to play him potentially a guard where all you see is bull rushes by bigger guys. That to me, that doesn't make sense, but you can't until we see him, his new mentality, he's got this physique and he was tougher last year. He just wasn't good enough to unseat my uh, We'll see how he is. And so by the way, surprise you. you know, Jordan, my versatility plays into it as well, because if, if you have an issue with lane, Jordan's comfortable playing right tackle. So you just move Jordan to right tackle like they did last year when lane, Mm -hmm. let the team with the mental health and the anxiety issues. Mm -hmm. They just kicked Jordan when he was healthy to right tackle uh, and put Andre at left tackle. So right. this team is unique because they have Jordan Mailata and he's still a really good, and I'm talking about Andre Dillard, really good backup left tackle. Yes. When does the next Inside the Birds pod drop, Mr. Mosher? It'll drop Thursday morning at 6 a.m. And in between, we'll have a lot of content on InsideTheBirds.com. We've got – well, actually, we'll have a show that we do with Greg Cosell that will come out uh, tomorrow, Wednesday morning, called The Intel with Greg Cosell. That's been a, a three-month-long series that we do, and he's going he's gonna to break down all the guys that the Eagles drafted and signed as free agents, and we'll have a comprehensive look at all of them. Very nice. Cosell's as good working the tape as anybody in the business. That's right. Uh, you are always good when you come on with us. We appreciate it greatly. Feel free to get that hair trimmed even more so you can get more uh, in tune with the other two M's you join here on Birds uh, 365. Thanks, brother.
if I go bald the way I do, I just become a third member and it's the three and oh, yeah. Motion yeah. McMullen. You're and, always well. Okay. All right. We'll do it. I'll we, think we about it. We'll work on that for damn sure. My Jeff, people thanks, call I your appreciate people. appreciate it. That's Jeff Mosher from uh, Inside the Birds here with us on Birds 365. A lot of bird stock. We'll come back, do a little bit more, put a bow on the show. Stick around. Stream on a Roku, Fire Stick, Android TV, or Apple TV. Now you can watch 6ABC 24-7 with the 6ABC Philadelphia streaming app. The big story on action. Search 6ABC Philadelphia and start streaming today. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. Lincoln Financial Field is home to more than just our hometown team. It's a landing place for dreams. Invest in the future of our students from all over Philadelphia and get an exclusive tour of the stadium at the Blocks Aspire to Dreams Gala, hosted by Brian Taff of 6ABC. While we aspire to build, our students aspire to dream. Join us for the Blocks Gala on Thursday, May 5th at Lincoln Financial Field. Seats are limited, so reserve yours today at blocks.org slash gala. In Philadelphia, we celebrated the miracle with pride only five years ago. And then the following morning, IBEW Local 98 members went back to work, building this city, rescuing our communities from decay, and inspiring the young men and women of the region to take pride in who we are. Like the cats, Local 98 members believe in hope. To learn more about who we are, what we do, and career opportunities with Local 98, visit us, ibew98.org. At Stateside Vodka, every new customer gets the world's best rocks glass, free. You're telling me that bottle is cut in half? You could say that. Go for the midnight tears. Go for the game. Go for the hits, go for the fans, go for the win. Go to Ocean Casino Resort. Book your trip at theoceanac.com. McMullen and McConnell wrapping up a Birds 365 Tuesday get-together. All right, uh, prior to today's show, Johnny Mac yesterday, we got a little bit of a surprise. Ken Herbick being given his walking papers. Yes, we got to meet the newest, and he may be the most important eagle this upcoming year. He's going to be the biggest change. A.J. Brown on the outside and uh, uh, got introduced here in town. How we got anything up his sleeve for the next 22 hours? Uh, anything we'll be talking about definitively here on Birds 365 tomorrow? 
Um, no, I think we're going to have a little dead period. Tentative Friday for rookie minicamp. Uh, they're supposed to be in here. So at some point, we'll get confirmation on the undrafted free agent class, probably on Friday. Um, and, you know, that can change. As we mentioned, EJ Perry already uh, going to Jacksonville and uh, originally agreed to term terms with the Eagles. So could be a couple more names on that list, but nothing earth shattering. You know, maybe if the Giants uh, do release James Bradbury, maybe that moves pretty quickly because I have a feeling if he gets on the open market, there's going to be a lot of people interested and you're going to have to move pretty quickly if you want to get involved uh, with a player like that. I'm a Bradbury fan. You know, when the Eagles played the Giants this year, I gave the Giants a chance both times because of their secondary. Yeah, he's a very, very good player. I very thought they player. had a very good secondary. They had issues. They still got some issues uh, with their quarterback, but I did like the Giants secondary, and Bradbury was a pretty big reason for that. Uh, last thing, and we'll talk about this tomorrow for sure, because I know they're going to announce it. I think it might be announced while we're actually on the air tomorrow. The NFL schedule is nine days away from being released, but tomorrow they're supposed to release the five the inter- international international. Game. Yeah. Could be Mexico in the, that's what I'm asking. Yeah. You got your passport ready to go to Mexico. Yeah, no, I got to get that. Uh, boy, I got to renew my TSA uh, known traveler number. I got to, uh, what, where, what the hell did you just say? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Pre-check. You ever see pre-check? I can't live without pre-check in airports now. So if you get pre-check, you 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 have a special line. You don't have to go with the regular people. You don't have to take your belt off. You don't have to take your shoes off. You just skate right through. It is the best creation ever. Uh, it's it's good for five years, and mine is running out, and I got to renew it. Uh, so I got that hurdle. Yeah, I've but I can't know. live. I can't go in the regular. I can't go in the regular line anymore, Jody McDonald. I've gone nowhere fast, so I got not only don't I have pre-check, I don't even know what pre-check is. Yeah. So it, good it, luck it for the... you getting yours again. And oh, you're gonna need more than that to get to Mexico. Make sure that passport is stamped. Yeah, I gotta get I gotta get that uh renewed. Yeah. A lot of lot of lot of paperwork coming up. Uh we'll do a whole bunch of paperwork over the next twenty two hours. Then we'll be right back here on Birds 365 in, two and two. If you missed any of today's show on the Jacob Media channel, listen to the podcast on your way home. Available on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify.